Hello and welcome. I'm Carolyn and you're listening to Behind Bars. Today I'll be exploring my first cult. I'm surprised it's taken this long, to be honest. Some have called the People's Temple a cult. Others insist it was a church or a movement, but no one can argue that it ended in tragedy. I'd say it's more like a cult than a church, but I can understand why some people would rather think of it as a church, especially if they were living in the area when it happened. The People's Temple didn't start off bad. When James Jim Jones founded it in 1955, he quickly attracted a congregation with his unusual and progressive ideas. Even 65 years ago, racial segregation was huge, especially in America. Slavery had long been abolished, but generally white people were still seen as upper class. They were still wealthier, more powerful, and often had access to better facilities like healthcare, schools, jobs, all that stuff. But if you were black, even if you were rich, because don't get me wrong, there were a few rich African Americans, you could find people looking down their noses at you. So this was the backdrop for Jim Jones' brand new church in 1955. Everyone was shocked when he advertised it as a place for everyone. This wasn't a white church or a black church. Anyone who wanted to could attend. It was very appealing at the time. The idea was predominantly about people of different races coming together, but there was also no discrimination about age or ethnicity. A People's Temple survivor told the media, quote, The people were the attraction of the temple. So much of it was revolving around Jim Jones, and he was the one who was always given the credit for everything, but the people were the attraction. Another survivor has said, quote, The people were incredible. Over the next 23 years, the seemingly progressive church became worse and more populated and cult-like. Jim Jones founded the People's Temple in 1955 in Indianapolis. For a while, everything was great, but that all changed when Jones read an article published in Esquire in the early 1960s. There's a bit of argument over whether he was genuinely scared by the article or if he was using it as an excuse. It listed the nine safest places in the world in the event of a nuclear disaster, which it claimed could happen at any time. One of the places on this list was Eureka, California. According to this article, California, quote, escapes damages in the war games attack because it's west of the Sierras and upwind from every target in the United States. Jones, his family and 70 of his followers relocated to California that same year. Before I go any further, let me tell you about James Jim Jones. He was troubled from the start, a very unusual child. He had a few friends, but generally preferred to be on his own. Some have described him as a loner. On the rare occasions he did have friends come over, they'd played together in his family's barn. One time when he was entertaining them, he pretended to go get something and locked all the other children inside. He also performed experiments on animals a classic psychopathic trait, and even held little funerals for them afterwards. In one documentary, they interviewed Jones' childhood friend, Chuck Wilmore. Chuck thought, quote, Jimmy was a really weird kid. He was obsessed with religion, he was obsessed with death. A friend of mine told me that he saw Jimmy kill a cat with a knife. According to the book The Road of Jonestown, Jones was obsessed with Hitler from a young age. He learnt all about him and was particularly fascinated by his death. He thought Hitler's suicide in 1945 was an ingenious move. He looked up to the man for being brave and not giving his enemies the chance to capture or kill him. 
I'm no expert, but I'd say that's a pretty bad sign. Now let's get back to the story. Now in his early 30s, Jones decided to relocate. Until this point, Jones, his family and his followers were all living in Indianapolis, Indiana. In the early 1960s, Jones was getting more and more nervous about nuclear war or nuclear catastrophe. He dreaded that California was one of the safest places in the event of a disaster like this. He began preaching about the dangers and high possibility of a nuclear catastrophe, even predicting one would happen on the 15th of July 1967. In the end, he convinced 70 people to move to Redwood Valley in Northern California, with him, his wife and his son. A few interesting things happened whilst they lived there. Interesting is the only way I can think to describe them. You may have heard of the Peace Mission Movement, another cult led by Father Divine and his wife Mother Divine. When the People's Temple was in its infancy, Jones met with Father Divine a lot and took some of his advice to help grow his cult. He taught him about his most valued qualities, like racial equality and abstinence. Father Divine passed away a few years after the People's Temple set up in California in 1965. As soon as Jones heard the news, he made a power grab for the peace mission movement. At one point, he claimed he was the reincarnation of Father Divine, who his followers had worshipped as God. But Mother Divine wasn't having any of it. She kicked them out and refused to let them anywhere near the cult again. Jones managed to steal a few of their followers, and he left soon after. Redwood Valley, Jones also gained many followers. The cult grew from 70 people to over 2,000. He claimed to have up to 20,000 in his congregation, but this was never substantiated and is unlikely to be true. His family also grew. He only ever had one biological child, although there's some argument that he had two. I'll get to that later. Anyway, as far as we can prove, he only had one biological child. But over the years, he and his wife Marceline adopted tons of children of different racial backgrounds. This is surprisingly common in cults, leaders illegally adopting their followers' children. Jones also slept with lots of his followers, both men and women, unlike leaders of some other cults. His goal wasn't pregnancies. One of the strangest things he led his followers to believe was that he was the only straight person in the world. A survivor named Joyce Houston had been told that, quote, anyone who showed an interest in heterosexual sex was just compensating. This was one of many ways Jones enjoyed breaking apart couples in the People's Temple. It wasn't just first date type couples he disliked. He tried to split husbands and wives too. He claimed they were a threat to the cult and having a partner would draw his followers' focus away from their work and generally make them less productive. One man did recall avoiding his wife and not even making eye contact with her during their time in the cult because he was terrified of being made an example of to other couples. He said it had happened before. I couldn't find exactly what he meant when he said Jones made examples of loved up couples, but we can assume it wasn't good. If it was enough to stop a man from looking at his wife of several years, then it was one powerful threat. At some point during their stay in Redwood Valley, California, the media caught wind of the mysterious so-called church. Reporters began poking their noses in, trying to work out what all these people were doing there. I love reporters. I'm sure they're really annoying if you're the one dealing with them. 
But there are so many cases where all the media does is get under the bad person's skin. In this case, Jim Jones. Eventually, Jones got tired of keeping them away from the People's Temple, or they got too close to the truth. So the cult relocated again. In 1977, to avoid the, quote, media scrutiny over the cult's suspicious activities, the People's Temple moved all the way to Guyana, to a place he named Jonestown. They effectively moved as far away from civilization as Jones could afford to. A once abandoned agricultural settlement in South America was now filled with between three and 5,000 adults, OAPs and children. Jones may have escaped the reporters from North America, but his followers had been forced to leave all their friends and family behind when they moved to Jonestown. There were thousands of people stuck worrying about their friends' welfare and not knowing where their family members had gone. A year later, a US congressman decided to explore what was happening to all these people. In November 1978, Leo Ryan arrived in the settlement, accompanied with several reporters and relatives of cult members. They were allowed to look around for a while, before Leo and four others were shot to death by cult members. This event made the news in the USA, freaking out even more people. Jones realised he wouldn't be able to keep the People's Temple going for much longer. And that wasn't the only thing that went wrong during their time in South America. Tim and Grace Stone had become members of the cult shortly after their marriage. Tim worked as an attorney for the cult, and was a great help in fighting Jones' legal battles. He and his wife had agreed to having an open relationship, so he didn't make a fuss when Jones started sleeping with her. It had its perks, and it meant their relationship was never threatened, since they remained productive members of the cult. In January 1972, Grace gave birth to a baby boy. She named him John Victor Stone. Although she'd been sleeping with both of them at the time, and there wasn't a way to know for certain, Jones claimed it was his son. At this point, both Tim and Grace were still his followers. Tim gladly signed an affidavit to say that John Stone was Jim Jones' biological child. I don't know if he actually believed this, or if he was just trying to keep Jones happy. Eventually, Grace left the People's Temple and her son with Jones. She left in 1976 and was joined a year later by her husband, Tim. He decided not to move all the way to Guyana. They tried to get their son back, who at the age of four was still in the cult. They fought alongside the US court system, but since Jones was no longer living in the US, there wasn't much they could do about it. Two years later, John Stone was amongst the hundreds of dead children found in Jonestown. On the 18th of November 1978, Jones made the big decision. The People's Temple's time had come to an end. He ordered his followers to join him in what would soon be known as the Jonestown Massacre. The children were killed first. The ones that put up too much of a fight were shot to avoid a struggle, and the rest of the kids were either forced or tricked into drinking cyanide-laced juice. Hundreds of his adult followers willingly drank the cyanide afterwards. Within a couple of hours, Jonestown looked more like no man's land. 918 people died in total. Jones died the same day, but he didn't poison himself like most of the other cult members. He was shot through the head. It's unclear whether he did it himself or if his nurse Anna shot him before killing herself, but either way, he got his way. He followed in his childhood hero Hitler's footsteps and died to evade prison. There were few survivors of the Jonestown Massacre, 
but those who are still around today will always have to live with the memories of that awful day. That was the case of the People's Temple and the Jonestown Massacre. Forty years later, the story can still have a huge impact on anyone who hears it. If you missed last week's episode on Skylar Nice, then you won't have heard the announcement. Behind Bars is on Patreon. Go check it out at patreon.com forward slash behind bars the pod. The link's in the podcast description. Also, go follow Behind Bars and all the social medias that are also in the podcast description. I hope to see some more of you on Patreon. Alright, bye for now.